You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Nick, I feel like we're struggling to stand out on social media. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we don't have really any big design savvy. Yeah, and, and like we just started this thing about a year ago, and it's just we don't have a budget to hire a designer or anyone like a marketing guru or anything like that. I mean, how do we attract new listeners? I feel like we should try this thing called Ripple. What's Ripple? I've never heard of it. Ripple is designed for small businesses, helps you attract new business and engage with existing customers. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be great designers. We create professional ads. There's like 200 plus design templates. It automatically shares to all of our social media. You mean like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? All of it at once. It has recommendations and goal tracking tools. So like, you know, it's not going to make us hit 100,000 people next week. That's amazing. How do we sign up? For a seven-day free trial, visit rippleripl.com slash herd today. That's seven days free. Slash today, right? No. All right. It's underlined. Today is underlined. No, no, that's wrong. For your seven-day free trial of Ripple, visit ripple.com, R-I-P-L dot com slash herd, H-E-A-R-D, right now. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is a collaboration between The Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight we have a full house. I'm joined by Vato. Hey, hey. Nick. Hello. Jason. Woo. And our special guest. Uh, I've seen you r- known as Chef to the Stars right, right. online. Uh, Chef Max L. Hardy. What up, do? Thanks for being with us. Uh, Chef, let's start talking. Let's start with the restaurants. So yep. you have uh, River Bistro right now? Yeah, River Bistro is our um, Caribbean soul concept that we opened um, early, late August. Um, so we're around rocking and rolling, man, trying to just make magic, you know, within the the Caribbean and soul industry of, of culinary arts. So uh, it's been fun. And, and so you you just made your triumphant return to Detroit, yeah? Yep. With, with, uh, with River Bistro, and um, and you have plans to open three more? Yeah, so we got one that's open in about 45 uh, to 90 days. Um, it's going to be a midtown uh, between Cass and Petersburg. So it's um, Asian and Caribbean fusion. Mm. Um, so we bring in a little um, Caribbean and Asian love. Caribbean is my background. Um, Asian is one of my favorite things to eat. And so I'm going to marry the two together and see if we can uh, make some more maggots happen. That's the shipping container? Yeah, yeah, that's going to Detroit Shipyard. Yep. Um, and then this summer, uh, late summer, uh, we're going to open up uh, Honey, which is going to be our African um, kind of diaspora. That's kind of 
under wraps right now. So um, we would stick around for more. You are yeah. busy. We'll try wow. to break some news on that before the end of the hour. Absolutely, absolutely. As the glass yeah, gets empty, yeah, no. as the glass gets empty. Yep, 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 yep. As we sit here and have a little uh, spirits, we'll we'll, 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 we'll we'll let a few secrets out. Now, can we ask about, so we had this amazing spread of food yep. uh, that you brought in. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Anytime. Is that from your first place? Is that River? Yeah, that's River Bistro. So yep. we uh, we featured jerk um, ribs and jerk chicken in the restaurant. So tonight we had a little jerk chicken, a little... Um, Mango and uh, mandarin orange salsa. That's great. And then we do a guava barbecue sauce, uh, so to spice it up a little bit and kick everybody ass with you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm awake. <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't know if they still have it, but did you ever go to any of the Caribbean festivals that were downtown? And they had them on Belle Isle, I believe. Last year we went Plaza. to the Caribbean Fest. Last year, um, this year we'll probably be a part of it and do some stuff with that. But um, when I came back last year, uh, last summer we did. So was there was there like you know, food such as I mean, you're gonna participate yeah, this time, but what kind of absolutely. stuff? Absolutely, no. I mean, it's uh, it's a few guys that's doing you know Caribbean stuff, um, specifically a lot of Jamaican um, inspiration. Uh, we're we're a little more Caribbean, so we're hitting you know a little Jamaica, a little Bahamian. My mom's from Bahamas, and so I pay a little homage to to, to Bahamas a lot in our uh, recipes and some of our development. Um, but then also, you know, you got Puerto Rico, we got DR, you have. Um, St. Bart's and some of the stuff that I'm pulling from there. And then we have a little African, you know, inspiration as well. So we just try to mix it up. You know, there's so many islands out there. And so you can't just say, you know, be pigeonholed to Jamaica, um, which a lot of Caribbean restaurants are. So I just try to mix it up a little bit. So you, you were born in Detroit. Born and raised in Detroit. And then you were, you moved to Tampa. Yep. And then you uh, received a scholarship to Johnson & Wales. Yeah. So um, while I was in high school, um, star basketball player got hurt. Uh, my junior year, and then uh, wanted to uh, kind of continue my heights and, you know, my dreams of going to the NBA, but really wasn't going to happen. So I was like, I got to make some money some way, somehow, and figure it out. And so um, when I got hurt, uh, one of the chefs came into our high school, and uh, we just kind of hit it off from the ground running. So I helped him kind of develop the culinary program, develop catering, um, and then we kind of just took it over from there. And so then you, you graduate Johnson & Wales and you, you build this Chef Max brand, Yep. right? So you, you go to Miami, you go to New York, you go to L.A., you run into Amari Stoudemire. Yep. Um, how, does it, how did that all happen? Well, I mean, in Miami, man, we before Instagram, before Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff, um, it was MySpace only. You know, so <laughs> I wish I could go back to my old MySpace account and you guys see all the stuff we did way back then. Um, but when I was in Miami, I started catering for a company called Carefree Lifestyles. And so this company, they bring in different celebrities from athletes all over the country. And when they come in town, they'll rent out mansions, yachts, and so forth. So we did pretty much every catering for them. Um, every star you can imagine, you know, that that, that funnel through uh, Carefree, we touched. And so just developing relationships, hanging out with some of the guys, and, you know, just staying true to the product. The product kind of spoke for itself. And then, um, you know, one day— they called me at like 11 o'clock. <clears throat> I think I just finished cooking for Fab. And uh, I'm on my way home, coming out 95. They're like, Chef, can you come back to South Beach and cook? I'm like, it's 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> like, I'm done for the day. Um, they're like, no, we got a client that's looking to have dinner before they go out. And so um, I show up uh, back at the W, this this amazing penthouse in the W, uh, South Beach. And it's Amari. It's Rudy Gay. Um Few of the guys, I at that point, I was like, I don't even care. I just want to cook and get out of here. I, I you know, I've been rocking and rolling since six in the morning. So, um, 
we made out a spread, and Amari comes out. He enjoyed everything, steak, lobster, you name it, we did it. Um, and end up actually going out with them that night and hanging oh out. <laughs> so I got home by 3 in the morning. I had to be back at Fab House the, <laughs> the oh. next morning to do brunch uh, at like 7. Um, but, no, it worked out, man. And so um, we kind of stayed in relationships and stayed talking. And when he got traded, uh, he asked me what I'd be interested in coming out to um, L.A. to train with him for the week, for two weeks. Went out to train with him for two weeks. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, you thinking about having a chef? He's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to get traded to the Knicks. Would you be interested? And I was like, let's do it. So, yeah. So uh, I went back home and packed everything up in New York. I can't, what was that? Do you, do you have a nutritional background, too? Or do you partner with any nutritionists when you're working with the sports? Yeah, now I do. Um, at the beginning, I didn't. It was just kind of like, um, you well, know. Sounds just, good. Yeah, yeah, you know. But just knowing, being in the industry so long, when I first started my career, I was in, in um, hotels and um, food and beverage, different companies and, and um you always have that as a chef. You always know the nutritional facts and what you should be serving people. So it was like one of those things where you know I kind of knew a little bit of it. But then we start working on athletes and you know professionals at that level. You know just what they require so so different than what you're used to. So carefree yeah. living was like a, a range of styles. It wasn't just Caribbean. You're cooking. Yeah, all- no, it was all over, man. I mean, we had clients from you know, hip hop guys, rock and roll guys to, you know, stars and athletes, um, to just, you know, just blue collar guys that was coming down to have a, a bachelor party for the weekend. So it just ranged from different clients. When, when you say, uh, you were Amari Studemeyer's personal chef, private chef, what, what is that? What goes into a job like that? Did you like, were you guys roommates? Did you live like, were you waking up making them breakfast and like, yeah, some days it felt like we were roommates. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah, so it was, it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, six days a week. Um, so I'll get to the house around seven um, and, and start getting everything rolling. So I'm the first person him and his family see to the last person they see. Um, so I'm there, breakfast, the kids, you know. So he he had one menu he'll eat, and then the family had something different. So we'll you know I'll knock that out, and then after breakfast, and I'll go shop for lunch. Um, or kind of just kind of have my little personal time to do what I do. And then come back from after lunch, make lunch happen. If it's a game day, then um, he'll get up and have lunch, and then go back to sleep, and then get ready for pregame meal. So um, it was pretty pretty demanding day, you know, twelve to sixteen hours every day. Um, but you know, you had the perks of you know being able to be around a star athlete of that caliber at that time, and and you know go to the games and live some of the same you know same lifestyles, and that I would have I was in the NBA, so it was a win win for me. Um, but it's fun. So was it like a little mini restaurant of like four people? You kind of plan the menus. No, and man. No. At that time, it was it was an entourage of ten. Oh, you know, um, four kids. You know, and wow. then you know, uh, three kids at a time, and then a wife, and then came another kid, and then you got the the nanny, you got the bodyguard, you got you know um, the stylist, and you know it was just a pop up of guests who would come in. So I always prep for ten people any any okay. any occasion. Yeah. And then how would you make the menu? We were just like, hey, you know, so-and-so's in season or yep. here's the request from the family or – I mean, you're in New York and we're living in meatpacking. So I had Chelsea Market as my oh, as my source. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm getting the best and fresh of everything mm-hmm. every day. So, you know, um, food quality and cost wasn't an option. It, you know, it wasn't a, a problem at all. So and I was getting everything. So um, I would kind of shoot it off the, off the hip sometime. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his favorites and game days. I tried to make sure I stuck to, a, you know, a regiment for him. But other than that, I'll kind of get out and just have a little fun. Would you travel with him? 
Yeah, so and during the season, I didn't travel as much unless he's going to be in a season, in the area where he's going to be there three or four more mm-hmm. days. Um, but if he's going to the West Coast, and I'll come out there sometime. If he's going to Phoenix, I'll go out there. Uh, but it kind of is a mix. And know? how would that work? So if you're going to Phoenix, yep. would you <clears throat> kind of cook? I mean, you wouldn't like cooking the hotel. Yeah, well, sometimes I would. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I first met him, we were in a hotel. Um, I forget what hotel was at. Um, it's where the hotel where they filmed. Um, like Anchors. a Holiday Inn? No, no, no. <laughs> what, not, what, <laughs> wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, what was the movie with T.I. when they filmed Takers? Is it Takers? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of blank stairs over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever. It was a really nice hotel. The, Ro- the Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Roosevelt oh, the Hotel yeah. in L.A. Okay. Um, and so I'll go up to his uh, penthouse and cook there, and I'll cook downstairs in the in the main kitchen and take everything up and kind of prep it ah, up there. Ah, okay. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, Nick yeah, is yeah. lucky if the hotels he stay in have a microwave. Right. So right, right. That's where he's <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky if there's an ice bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, get, I get requests, man, to cook in microwave kitchens, so that's not, you know, it's not a far-fetched request. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So any problems with the hotel? Tell us, like asking them to use their kitchen, and, and sometimes um, well, there's been a few. There, there are a few times where we, you know, we had issues, um, especially if we we're out of the country. Um, there's a few times, but um, a lot of hotels are, you know, very understanding mm-hmm. of you know just what's going on, especially in the season when the whole team's staying there. So it wasn't a problem all the time. So, so is there like ten other personal chefs in there? Knocking out for food for other? Players no, man. I mean, you only get the elite. I mean, you know, it's only probably. I don't know, probably 40 or 50 elite personal chefs at that level, you know, cooking for different guys in the NBA. Um, at that level, now you have, it's a little more, you know, prominent to, to be a personal chef for NBA guys. And a lot of guys starting to see the the benefit of having a personal chef, adding on years to their career and, you know, making sure they're healthy. So it's, um, it's a lot different than when I first started to now, so. That was Nick's problem because you were getting chicken nuggets everywhere you're going. When yeah, you're I, I asked right. my personal chef to come, and he's like, "Nah, I'm good." Right, right, right. <laughs> it's true though. I always thought if I ever, you know, hit it big or had the disposable income, I mean, because cooking for myself, I mean, at, for sure as a single person, like doing the shopping, trying to cook for one, and like even as much as I want to eat better, but like the work grind is always on you. Right. And there's always this convenience thing, and like. For me, I would. I, I've always thought that like that would be the best luxury more yeah. than like a car or anything else. Like just to be able to have great food because I love eating. So yep. it's like you know. See, I'm the opposite. I if I had if I had made it big, I'd be, I would cook more because I'd in theory you know have more money to kind of Jeez, do stuff. But it's and a have time, time. It's a time. No, issue. It's a time. As I talked it out, I'm just like, yeah. now nah, you're thinking. Out of your and I, I'll tell you what. You know, I've migrated to is plated, and I'm not. I mean, that's the only thing that I've done, and it's been amazing using mm. plated. That's uh, a capital P, not just like putting it on a plate. It's a uh, right. small P, big L. <laughs> yeah. right. Technically, if you get Wendy's and you put the burger on the plate, that don't count. You gotta, you gotta at least unwrap it. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, right. But they, 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 you, you do the amount of uh, uh, meals that you want per week sure. plus the amount of servings. So I do two servings, and right now we're doing two between three and two meals a week. Uh, the wife gets one serving. Uh, because of my stomach, I get half the serving, and my kid gets the other <laughs> half. And it's there's no waste. There's no waste. All the ingredients are fresh. It gets delivered every Saturday. Hmm. I mean, we're moving into this kind of yeah. Uh, no, a lot of those cook personal. Yeah, but a lot of, of those programs are really cool. Like we we're getting ready to start a program on Monday for the restaurant um, where we're doing healthy meals uh, for ninety days for anybody that's trying to do you know meal prep and so forth. So is it going to be oh, yeah? Explain that pre cooked yeah. that yeah. they they throw in the microwave or is it going to be giving them ingredients and they're going to make it at home? No, so it'd be pre cooking. You just put it in the microwave. There you go. Yeah, because um, you know you get you get these working class mothers and everybody's so busy. Everybody's running around. It's hard to you know go home and. And prep a three course meal and make sure everybody's getting what they need. Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, we're just trying to fill that one void um, to make sure everybody's good. Yeah, plug that. Plug that a little bit. How do people more get get more information about that? Yeah, so you go to River Bistro, uh, Detroit dot com, okay. um, where you can call a restaurant and, and figure it out. Um, you know, River Bistro Detroit is is our website, and then um, you can come by the restaurant and get your meal prep ready to go. Is that, so they're like picking up like a week's worth at a time. Or yeah, so on Sunday like... you pick up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday you pick up for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we get a little idea. cheat day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for hundred bucks, you can't. You know, you can't. You can't beat that. Right? That's just great. If you look wow. at the, yeah. you know, there's so many books coming out about meal prep right yep. now. There's you could so many different kinds of containers that that you can buy, and I mean, it's just kind of like this wave going on. I'm yeah. just glad that there's folks that are. Are you going to do any kind of delivery with that too, or just pick up only? Uh, pick up only for right now. We'll see how it goes. Talk um, to Uber Eats. I feel like they could do a, yep, like a hook yep, up there. Yep, yep, yep. Uber Eats got in the city, so we've mm-hmm. we've been using them as well. So. As we start developing, maybe we'll you know get to that point. Nice. We got to crawl first. <laughs> <laughs> we are starting it tomorrow. Right. We got we got three other restaurants and a school and everything else we got to worry about. But you know, you know, we um, whatever we can do to you know help out the community and make sure everybody's healthy, then we're good. That's great. So let's talk about the transition from being a personal chef, the Mario Studemeyer, to coming back to Detroit. And yep. now you, you have your one restaurant and, and with the plans to open a couple more mm-hmm. and school. And yep. you're, you have a foundation, all these things. How, how, what was that transition like? Well, I mean, I guess two two years ago now, um, I came home to do um, a series um, called Detroit Made and Grown um, with Davida uh, for Detroit Food Lab and um, with, with Peter from Revolver. Um, and so, actually, first I did a two dinners with Revolver first, and we sold out and went to eighteen hours, you know, for four days straight. Um, the first time the Revolver ever did anything like that for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we sold them out two seatings, um, which is really cool f- for me. Being able to you know, travel the world and, and put on events and, and, and do dinners like that, I didn't, I've never sold out like that. So I was like, well, maybe there's some kind of wave happening here <laughs> in the city. Like, I mean, let me try it again. So that was early in the summer, uh, I guess 2015. Um, and then I came back that, that winter, December, and did a, a holiday kind of kickoff. And we sold out again. <clears throat> so I was like, okay. Now I'm really the starting to turn. And then um, we did the, the Farm to Table series where Detroit um, Detroit Made and Grown. We went to urban farms in the city and highlighted African-American farms in the city that um, that were doing like some amazing things in, in the community. So we did these dinners, and that sold out. And then after that series, I was like, well, maybe this is a time for me to come back home. And, um, you know, one of my, my dad, he's always telling me, like, you know, Detroit's always going to be home for you. You know, you should always think about, you know, coming back home. And so um, he passed away, um, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And so I wanted to come back and kind of start bringing some of that synergy and energy that, you know, that he told me back to the city and back to just my family. So um, being in New York and doing New York such at a high level for seven years, it was like, all right, let's get back home and kind of do some stuff. And then with the, the emerging culinary scene happening. So we came back early this year. And this has been kind of hitting the ground running. Um, you know, one restaurant open now, two more to come. And then the, the culinary program um, in New York, we started a culinary program, I guess, 14, 2000. Uh, yeah, 14. We started the, the school in Harlem uh, where we put about 140 kids through the program thus far. Uh, we got uh, about 25 that's went off to either culinary school or some kind of hospitality related industry. So um, we've been hitting that. And so when I wanted to get back to the city and Kind of teach about culinary arts and and healthy eating and 
hunger because you think of hunger on a world level, but you know you see these kids walking around with Jordans, but yeah. you know they malnourished because so they ate McDonald's every day or they go to the local bodega or to local store, um, or the gas so, station to buy or the gas station, yeah. yeah. So or eating Coney Island every day, yeah. you know, because they don't know anything else, and so. Um, part of my task and one of my my goals and visions come back to the city is to kind of 86 that. And so 86, we know it means end in chef terms. So our foundation is called 86 Hunger um, in partnership with I Am Hope Foundation to to merge that gap. Um, so, yeah. And so why did you pick uh, Rosedale Park? It, it seems like uh, it's, I don't want to say forgotten about because it's a very nice area, but the culinary scene isn't there yet, yep. right? Is that why? Um, so yeah, that, that, and Rosedale Park growing up was always like the cool thing to do on Saturdays and Sundays. You always went there to shop. They had one of the black owned, you know, grocery stores there. Um, and as a kid, uh, my best friend's mom used to take us over there and shop. And so he used to be like, I'm going to get a house in Rosedale Park one day. And I would be like, I'm going to get a house in Rosedale Park one day too. So, um, he moved back, um, before I did and he bought a house in Rosedale Park. So nice. when I said I was going to move here, I was staying with him for a little <laughs> bit and I was going back and forth to, we, we got an office over there. I was going back and forth and, um, I saw this location and I was like, maybe this may be a good idea to start over here because one, we can revive the culinary scene in my community first and kind of change my community through food and, and show them how to eat, show them how to dine and, should not have to eat healthier. Um, right next door to me is a fish fry place. Directly across the street is a fish fry place. Mm. Half a block down is a fish fry place. You buy we fry? Yeah. And so, so, and l- let's talk about that yeah. because, I, I mean, I was driving down uh, eight miles a day and saw at least four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, what is with the prevalence of fish fry places in the city of Detroit? I mean, it's sad, but um, I think it's a quick alternative for them to have dinner or lunch or, you know, whatever they were whatever doing. And Isn't part of it also you can use your your bridge card? Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's that's one of the worst things that yeah. that the government and and the states of of wherever can can really put forward. You know, like because you know you think about it. If I'm going to use my bridge card, well, back in the days to be food stamps, mm-hmm. and you couldn't buy anything that wasn't nutritional mm-hmm. and it had nutritional facts and, and healthy facts. So now all of a sudden I can go and get a a fried fish sandwich with my EBT card, like right, because you're bu- you're buying the fish and not the fried part of it, right? Yeah, like you're paying because you can't you can't get prepped food as right. far as I know. Yeah, so you therefore, can use the EBT card at party stores too. Like yeah, I mean, and, and so what they're doing yeah. is you know they'll sell mm-hmm. a little product, you know, be able to sell a little product that's you know frozen or fresh, and then hey, yeah, you bought it fresh, but then I can fry it for you and 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 kill you pretty much. Right. Um. So that's one of the things that. I, I dislike about our our food scene in the city, you know, and I think that's for, especially for our community. Um, it, it's just really killing our community, and and because they they use it so much, because mm-hmm. they don't have an understanding and resources for anything other than that. Right, right. You know? and, and and there are some good stuff. Like if you look at like Eastern Market, for example, Eastern Market yep. doubles. Every, yeah. every one of your uh, EBT dollars. That's cool. Are yeah. they doing like a grant or something? Or? No, you won't go in. It's been like that for as long yeah. as I know. That's they awesome. Double, that's really they cool. They double every uh, every dollar for the EBT. No. And, and that and that goes back to like you know that, that's a great thing, you know. But how many of of, of individuals individuals can get down to Eastern Market every Saturday yep. right. by two o'clock? Transportation. You know, to make sure oh they're, gosh, they're yeah. good to mm-hmm. to get those sustainable fruits and vegetables and so forth. So I think that's something that our you know that our government needs to tighten up on. 
you know, city and locally. I was always jealous of the Rosedale people. I lived in Warrendale. Right. I, I grew up in Warrendale. And the Rosedale grandma people, there was they were always like the rich people to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up so Warrendale is uh, uh uh it was much I think a much poorer neighborhood, uh right next to Herman Gardens yep. and whatnot and then those houses out there in Grandma Rosedale, they were like mansions. Oh man, like the yeah. grass looked different and the street <laughs> signs looked different. It was like it was like crossing the border uh, from Detroit to Gross Point. That's North, how I felt. North Rosedale, man, they're they're gorgeous oh. homes, man. Like um, the block clubs were were huge. Yeah, dope. The community, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, my gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We do a um, a steak roast for them um, last. Wait a second, I've heard of like corn roasts. No, You're doing a steak roast. Steak roast, man. They got they got New York strips <laughs> everywhere. Three hundred of them, and then you know salmon to go. And we donated the the um, the sides this year, and, and it was just a great great cool. event. And there's and a farmers like, market up there too, over yeah. at the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah, yeah. That was gonna be my yeah. question. Going back to the Eastern Market <clears throat> thing, but. As like pockets of the city start embrace like you know what they call urban mm-hmm. farming, and is that like how much how prevalent will that be in like what you're going to be doing, either already doing at River Beach yep. or with the you know the properties that you're going to be opening? So we um, last um, September um, I purchased three lots that was on the block I grew up on, so literally five eight houses from the block from the house I grew up on. We purchase and we're gonna do um, an urban farm, Neat. and then we purchase a month later. We purchase another one on the block uh, over from us on uh, Manor to do that as a community center and kind of stage area where kids can go perform. <laughs> and uh, we bought some shipping containers that we're gonna turn into uh, one hydroponic uh, farm, uh, one shipping container, one to be an office, and then one to be a kind of community center library for them to kind of go in and and do resumes and so forth. So I mean, because it's trying to build the community back up, um, and and then. Because part of that's like education too, right? As you're yep. talking about like the fish fry or different things, and like that's certainly easy and like mm-hmm. you know economically viable for people. But part of it's also habit and like yep. just learning better, yep. right? Because if you don't you don't see it, then you don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? So like for me, um, being from that community and them seeing me, all right, come back as a chef that have traveled all over the world doing whatever to come back and now give what I've learned. To them and to that community, it's a um, you know it's a, it's a win win for them. There's a funny one just for Nick here uh, to go throw back to Hazen Pingree because I know we haven't talked about that in about a year. Uh, but Hazen Pingree in the 1890s was the first uh, real politician. He's you know, Detroit mayor, as we mentioned before. <laughs> oh, who, that who okay. encouraged? I thought it was whiskey from Valentine. Who, who encouraged everyone to get into urban farming? Really, in the city? Well, let's go far back. Yeah. It was probably as, just called farming then. Well, now there's Pingree Farms, uh, you know, I'm taken up yeah. after that, but that's it was probably called for me, but you're well, right. But. <laughs> so, so I want to talk for a second about um, neighborhood support So, um, or, or just support from the community in general. So Adrian Miller is an, uh, an author who writes about soul food and African-American food history, yep. and he makes the point that um, a lot of times African – African-American businesses making a, will be making a great product. For example, what you're doing at River Bistro, but other African-Americans will not necessarily buy that product from that business yep. right so um there was a viral video a couple years ago with patty labelle's sweet potato pie mm-hmm. right and and the, the the gentleman even said in that video is like black people support black businesses yep. like, re, a reminder like a call out is that something that you're seeing in the city of detroit or is that something that is like have you seen that outside of the city of detroit yep. i mean for detroit just being back in the city um you know, even growing up in the city, just seeing 
so my my grandmother and and uh, my elders came from supporting each other and and owning businesses and you know car washes and gas stations and beauty salons and barbershops and so forth. So we come from an entrepreneurial kind of family. Um, so only thing I've seen and in, in was support from, you know, from, from our community. Um, but I think as the, as the time change, you know, I think we got away from that a little bit. Um, and I think now is, is a time for us to get back and, and, and support, you know, our business, especially when they're local in your own community. You know, because we have so many other people coming in trying to take over the community or, you know, helping that community um, that that and they're giving support. You know, they don't have to be just black. They're giving support. Um, but I think when you have a black business in a black neighborhood or African-American neighborhood, we definitely should support it more than we would any other neighborhood. I got I to say, I'm sorry, because I think we I mean, you live in this community. You pay tax dollars in the community. So the more you do for your community, the more. You know, you get out of that community. Um, so if you're African-American living in the African-American community, you should go to those, you know, all those meetings. You should, you know, raise awareness when there's a problem. You should support those businesses when they open. Because if you don't, then they close down. And then now you have a, just a, a generational curse of, you know, just business open and close and, you know, be open for a little bit and close down. So I think especially on, you know, the restaurant front, because um, people, we we spend the most money on in, in restaurants. You know, our our spending power is you know is up there to any other you know race or culture out there. So, um, if we have that power to give those capital dollars, then we should be spending it in our community to be able to help our community. And if you don't, then you can't you can't you know beat anybody up for not you know for coming in and taking over that community. And, so. and I think one of the things about this kind of dining renaissance that's happening in Detroit is Detroit's a primarily African American city, Correct. but the, the renaissance is happening on the like, like it's a mostly white renaissance, yep. right? Like, so or at least you, the stuff that's being covered anyway, right? Yeah. So, for example, like mm-hmm. your restaurant or um, Maddie's place, uh, yep. which is right around the corner from yep, you, essentially yep. the Senegalese restaurant over there, um, Jamaica Pot over on Eight Mile, Fenton's over on Northwestern. Like these are all are African-American owned restaurants, yep. but their coverage is minimal mm-hmm. in comparison to places like, you know, Selden Standard or Chartreuse, which is nothing, not, not a, not a knock on either of those two places, yep. but rather like, why do you think there's that disparity? Well, I think, you know, for so long, you didn't have a, a food scene in the city. You know, you, you went out to eat and you went to some of those places. If you were, if you lived in that area, now is a food scene. Everybody's like, "Oh wow, this cool chef that came in from Portland. This cool chef came in from LA. Cool chef from Miami." So let me let's go try these places out. But you already had a lot of cool chefs already here in the city, but just didn't need coverage, you know, because I guess you know everything else is getting more coverage than you know than that. So I think now part of my goal, um, and then we did an article with um, Detroit Free Press, was like. Hey, I want to help the African American chefs in the city. Not to say that I want to work with anyone else, but I want to have to help the African American chefs in the city because you are already here. Now that I got a little something to to help you push along and a little publicity, let me help you get to that next point. Um, and so that's kind of one of my tasks. But I think you know we're already here. Chefs are already here. Restaurants are already here. Great food is already here in the city. Has Detroit been known as a food city? No. 
But now it is because you have so many other James Beard Award winning chefs in the city, you know. And then one of my beefs is like, I've been in this game for a long time now, you know. Um, I'm I'm young, but I'm old in the culinary game. You got a little gray there, you know. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. And you have so many chefs that come in that's James Beard Award winning chefs, and no one in Detroit has got James Beard Award. That's African American in an African American city. And how is that possible? Mm-hmm. So, um, so we'll see what happens, you know, and and you know, over time. But um, here in the next year, you know, and that's one of the reasons for me to come back home and to make a push and and really just and and change that thought process and how we think about food, how we think about urban agriculture, how we think about you know urban development, how we think about that, um, and and how I can help on the front that I know how. So, I think that Joe wanted your earlier kind of question about uh neighborhood type businesses and when i i see in my experience that a lot of the uh african-american non-white businesses are franchisees type places i mean you have uh great people from the neighborhood who are giving back to neighborhood own like six mcdonald's or something yep. like that or they own a, a kfc or a lot of the chefs from the neighborhoods are working in the chilies yep. and they're working in the applebee's that are in the outskirts of maybe Redford, you know, if, at least on the west side, mm-hmm. talking about stuff like that. And they don't have – that's why it's great what you're saying because they don't have the outlets. They're not going to culinary school. They're starting off as yep. dishwashers, prep cooks, they're cleaning potatoes, things and that's like that. A, and that's the problem. Like, you know, you never had that. And, and I, I got to ask a question on PBS uh, a few years ago. Like, where is the African-American chefs? Like, they're here. And they want to do better, but – they're stuck in a role as a, a cook or a dishwasher or a prep mm-hmm. guy, and they never thought about being the chef or the owner of the restaurant. So even I can cook really, I can cook my ass off every day, but if I had no one to show me how to be a chef or train me mm-hmm. how to be a chef, then I don't have that resource and I don't, I don't have I don't have the outlet. Exactly. So you think about Detroit. Detroit only has one culinary program in the city of Detroit, and you got a lot of cooks. You go to every, you know, Coney Island, you go to every Chinese restaurant, you go to every um, shawarma restaurant, and there's African-American chefs in there. Mm -hmm. But they're not trained enough to get to that point. So So to them listening right now, if you're kind of sitting there making shawarma and you want to make the jump, what what is that next step? What is that? If if you want to, you know, kind of break into something else, what would you recommend to someone? I mean, I I think you you first start to change your thought press about, about food. Right, you're doing shawarma, and shawarma is nothing more than some grilled chicken, some mm-hmm. pickles. I don't, I don't even know what the shit is like. You know, I just, <laughs> it just tastes like garlic the entire day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. So, um, For first you gotta, right, you gotta, you gotta think outside the box. You know, like to figure out, like, hey, I, I really want to, you know, take this the skill set and take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I do that? Um, let me find a chef that I can train under mm-hmm. to do mentor. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so. Um, and like again, like I said, that's one of the reasons you know why I'm here to 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 help fill that void for a lot of guys. And then we want to create this culinary program to to really help that and push. But I think you just have to really start thinking about food on a different level. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious too about the. I mean, I work in marketing now, and we're talking about the same mentality from going to be a cook to be a chef. And you know, but what about as like a small business owners? I kind of see that as a deficit too. I mean, there's there for sure 
is the idea that some businesses are getting coverage. um, But there's also the idea that like marketing is part of business acumen and like you got to go out there and like push it too. Right. And like hustle. Yeah. Yeah. You got to hustle and you got to raise your mentality or raise your mindset to that. And it's, that's not necessarily a skill set that is like, if I'm focusing on being a chef and I got to figure out how to be as a business owner, like how to market myself, you know, coming from like you're working in New York, you're seeing like LA, New York, you know, Miami, there's obviously a lot of marketing going in a place like that. So I'm curious how you see that. Like, sure, you know, there's a conversation we had about what the, how the press should cover things, but what about the role, the responsibility of the business owner to market themselves? No, I mean, that's a huge one. I mean, even for me, you know, um, coming back to the city, we, we were able to do and have as much press as we had just because I guess kind of the, the brand of Chef Max and, um, because before that, I never had a restaurant. So it was just only the brand of Chef Max and, you know, being chefs for everybody and kind of traveling the world and doing foundation work. So that kind of helped. Um, so now we're at a, at a point like, all right, we got this restaurant open, but we had to still market every day. You know, we got a lot of great coverage at the beginning. And now it's kind of like kind of riding the wave of mm-hmm. kind of the Chef Max brand. But now we got to return it into dollars to keep that restaurant open. So um, you really have to understand and know you know, some marketing techniques. Um, but you don't really, you don't get that in school. You know, you don't get that, you know, um, just day to day. You got to really, you know, invest time and energy into that and then really get on the street and hit the pavement. So for, even for me now, like we, we get up every day and we hit the pavement on marketing. We do the door to door, you know, um, you're thinking like, all right, show you see chef Max out there passing out flyers. Yeah. I'm <laughs> some days when I'm riding and I'm going to somewhere, I'm passing out flyers, you know. Um, we're doing events, you know. Like if we Metro Times, we we do all the dinners that we possibly do, all the different events. We we're there. We show up the Burger Bash. We're there. And when you have those opportunities to 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 be in front of people, you got to show up and show out. And so that's kind of been our whole concept, you know. Um, even before we open the restaurants, to to really understand what marketing means. And I think you know part of our community don't understand that. They think okay, we open the door and everybody's gonna come. No, no, you got to really yeah. get in there and really strive and push hard to to do that. So, and I think one of the other things that I noticed, especially on your menu, is that um, your price points really affordable. Yeah, and for the food, the kind of elevated food that you're doing, nope. um, I mean, in a different market, you could get thirty, forty bucks a dish oh, for yeah. what you're doing. I wish, I wish I get it here every day. <laughs> well, I mean, we would be all right. <laughs> well, but, but, so, I mean, the most expensive dish on your menu is what thirteen ninety five. Five, 14, 16 bucks is, 16 bucks. Is, is, 16 bucks is the most expensive uh my short rib you know but again and and this is why like it's hard for me and it, it's tough for me to understand that the restaurant is doing the numbers it's doing and we, we're doing you know decent numbers you know we can take care of you know things that we need to do every day but if i was in midtown we wouldn't have this problem mm. if i was in new york we'll be well you'd have rent but yeah right <laughs> I was in Miami, would have this issue, yeah. right? So I don't have the rent that I would have anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't have the overhead in PR and marketing that I would have anywhere mm-hmm. else. However, I'm given a just as good of a product as Seldom Standard or anybody else. Every article comes out, we, we're right there with them. You know, we've been there with uh, all the top dogs in the city. Yep. You know, um, but... I'm four to 
$12 less each item, everybody else in the city, in Midtown, downtown. Hmm. Yeah, it's tough. It's a destination. I mean, there's a lot of, not a lot. There's a few high-end places that are destination yeah. places. I yeah. mean, you could talk about your Elbar Zones. You can talk about, even the Dolce Vita is kind mm-hmm. of a destination place because it's, you know, across from yep. the, the park there. And th- those destination places, folks that aren't from the neighborhood have to, yeah. plan to do that we have to convince them that it's okay to go down grand river yep, yep, yep. you know well look at, at like mabel gray like i feel like mabel gray had to kind of build up people getting out there and now they're kind of building this little you know complex with uh, the cider place and joe bar and and that's uh, why and that's why i kind of i yeah. stuck to the price point i stuck to with the same quality that you would get anywhere else like when we open up midtown downtown yeah we, we're going to be still in the same price range for the same kind of product Mm. You know, when I go to the arena, then, you know, that's something a little different, you know, because we're giving a, a different product mm. and, you know, it's much more added to it. You know, but I think we just have to, like, just say, okay, you know what, man, I really want to expand out and, and and try these places. You know, I, I, Vegan Soul, another great restaurant. Yep. I mean, I, I eat there once or twice a week, and I, I love their food. Um, but I think they should be busier than what they are now, too, you know. But it's, it's a destination spot, like you said. You know, it's, it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit. But Rosedale Park is, not, is nothing unsafe. It's, you know, it's a great community. Um, you know, Grand River, like, you know, one of the most historic streets in, in you know, Detroit. So why not come out and have a good time? Like, for me, I'm like, all right, I'm on Grand River. I can listen to jazz. I can sit outside, you know, and, and kind of just vibe and have a good time. And I can go inside, you know, have these communal tables that's kind of cool, quaint. You know, I, would, I would think this is somewhere you want to go. But I tell you this true, Chef. What you're doing that's that's <clears throat> different is the other. A lot of the other places are they're a higher price point, catering to the people from that yep. region and from outside the area. Yep. All right, Detroiters, you know, for the most part, can't go to those places because mm-hmm. they can't afford it, and they don't get to experience what it's like to go to a nice restaurant. Yep. Eat, eat real meals yep. because they're like we talked about earlier, they're stuck on these Coney Islands and, and some of this other kind of uh, food. So to have the shop in the neighborhood and have the price point you are says to the people down, you know, uh, Evergreen or whatever, hey, you can come over here. You can have this food that you. Just as good. Yeah. And that's why we did it. Yeah. You know, like for you to be able to go to River Bistro and have the same price point as you go to Coney Island. Exactly. If you go to. Uh, Little Caesars, and you get the hot and ready. What, what does that cost you? The five dollar pizza, five bucks, yeah. right? You can come to River Bistro and spend two extra dollars and get shrimp fritters. That changes, you know, to kind of changes the game of how you look at food. You go and get that same salad or that same corned beef sandwich. Corned beef is my favorite thing, so I don't want to say that. You know? <laughs> but you can do the same thing for twelve bucks, and you can get a you know bistro salad that that has all these amazing things. And changing your understanding of how food and, you know, what it means to understand culinary and dining, you know, so. And I hope the parents in the neighborhood bring their kids because that's what's going to change this mindset in the city. Oh, yeah. Because if the, if the kids start going and they start experiencing some yep. of this, you know, things that aren't, you know, made on a flat top yep. and, a, you know. But you see that. And a thing behind bulletproof glass. Right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change your lifestyle. It's, it's crazy to say the bulletproof glass. Uh, we, we've got beat up, we got beat up at the beginning. Um Wait, literally? No, not be. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was an interesting a, a, a segue. Little, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Look, my brother, he, he was like, Chef, you cannot take that bulletproof glass down. We, we're in Grand River. We're still in Rosedale. 
Roselle's changing, but I don't think it's ready to take the bulletproof glass down. I'm like, it just changed the whole aesthetic of the restaurant. It we, sets the mood kind of. You know of. what I'm saying? Yeah. We can't do it. You know, like it just, you see that bulletproof glass. I don't want to sit down and, and dine when I see that. And, and and by the grace of God, we haven't had any issues. Um, everything's been great. So it was like, I, I got to take this down. Like, I, there's no way I can cook here every day with this glass up. You know, so we took it down. But um, That's and if you don't if you don't set the tone and, and set the trend, then, you know, you'll the, be sitting the, there. It, that's an aesthetic, right? Like yeah. so, so that bulletproof glass is definitely an aesthetic. If you walk oh, yeah. into, if I walked into to your restaurant with bulletproof glass, I would have a totally different experience, Correct. absolutely, than without. Yep. And then in the nineties, I had a coffee shop, and I, there were bars on the windows, and I was like, no, we cannot have bars. <laughs> right. on the windows. Right, right. So I took we took the bars off. The, the coffee shop was in Harmony Park, which is now Paradise Valley, right? The Opera House parking yeah. garage is where my coffee shop was. Took the bars down. And with, <laughs> I got broken into oh, no. three times in wow. four months. There was one time where they took out the entire wall of windows. And I was like, oh, I should love that stupid <laughs> wrought iron gate up. But, but you're right. No, it, to it, your point, it's not yeah. welcoming. That's for yeah, sure, right? No, no, it no. doesn't uh, suggest a, a sense of. Uh, um, uh, community, you know, yeah. community welcoming, yep. Yep. Uh, and we can, we have communal tables. So, right. you know, when you walk in there, you have to be open minded to sit next to someone that you're you at don't ease. know. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, and and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to bring back is kind of like family, community, um, kind of ties into the whole story. You know, so um, River Bistro, it, it was really just um, an idea of like, how, hey, how do we bring back our community and and do it through food and do it through culinary arts and and do it at a such level that people can understand and respect it? So, why did you pick Midtown as the next uh, spot? Why did I pick Midtown? Actually, I didn't. I didn't pick Midtown. Midtown <laughs> picked me. Um, <laughs> right. um, why did I pick Midtown? So, um, Davida from Detroit Food Lab called about two years ago and was like, "Hey, chef, we're we're, we're you know we're working with." Different things in the city, and there's a lot of cool things happening. Um, Detroit Food Lab, with they their work in in, in uh, the culinary movement of the city is amazing. Between chefs, restaurateurs, urban farming, um, it is great. So when she called, I was like, "Hey, you know, if she's calling me to come back and and, and help, even think about doing a restaurant, you know, that means a lot to me." So when they told me the concept, I was like, oh, "Okay, that kind of sounds kind of cool," you know, little. I'll help you guys. I don't. I don't really necessarily want to open a shipping container, you know, concept. And then, it, then I started thinking about it a little more, and it started growing on me a little more and a little more. Then I was out in Portland at Nike um, factory, and then I saw what they were doing out there shipping containers. I'm like, this could be pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. So um, when we, I just kind of looked at the whole concept. It, it really made sense to be in this kind of food hall, um, and then um, one of my um, passions was always to merge. Caribbean and Seoul, and but then also merge Caribbean and Asian. Um, Asian is my favorite thing to eat. Caribbean is my background. I'm like, okay, you know, I always like wanted to do a Boston Market kind of concept. So I'm like, all right, well, let's turn Boston Market, Caribbean, Asian, and put them together in shipping container, and then we got it. So that's kind of how it happened, really. Um, is it like takeout? Like, so you're going to have like a lot of takeout? I'm sure it'll be some takeout, but okay. it's communal seating again. Okay. You know, it's. Um, Five other restaurants, four other restaurants, um, and within the uh, food hall kind of concept, okay. um, mm-hmm. which would be pretty dope, right in the heart of Midtown, right behind Peterborough. Yep, that's um, one of our properties. So thankfully, they've got that 
I thought for a minute there that that was project was going to kind of fall apart. Yeah, because they had it. They did uh, it was empty two summer. Yeah. yeah, they had done uh, not this past summer, but the summer before, like a lot of promotion. They did some events there, uh, and then there was like a for lease sign in front of the space. They were quiet for a while. It was quiet for a yeah. while, and then you know there was just a flurry of activity. They broke ground and. They we got it. We got it, it together. We back yeah. together now. Yeah, it was we, good. We uh, which we're happy for because yep. that uh, uh, they now with founders and the yep. shipping container and um, allegedly uh, uh, what's the uh, the the what used to be Chung's across the street from the Peterborough uh, was purchased by Brady's Jim Brady's. Oh, I did hear about that. Uh, yeah, 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 allegedly, but they haven't done anything yet. But yes, that, that was announced a while ago too. Yeah, that's a nice building in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's that's like. Is there like a Southman town or I don't know? That's it's 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 good. It's a good development. Yeah, no, nah, so I'm looking you know, forward like, to it, man. Like like I said, we we probably be ready in about ninety days. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. You know, um, I'm ready for Tiger season. Yeah, there we it's go. Like April something. Yeah. Next week, next week we get in and start building out and and start getting our kitchen ready. So it's uh, walkable. Yeah, yeah, uh, we br- put in a new uh, walk station, so it'd be kind of cool to have yeah, that big walk, walk rolling. Walkable, walk. Yeah. W- w- yeah. okay. Oh, right, right, right. And then, too, Midtown is great because then, you know, the third restaurant will be, you know, right outside the new arena. So I can literally ride my bike, two-minute ride to both restaurants. And so that'd be great for me. Cool. Yeah, what yeah. do you? What is it about Asian that you love Asian? What is it about Asian food that you love so much? Kind of same like this Caribbean. You know, it, it's you know, a lot of flavors, a lot of colors. Um, if you look at the foods I do and the flavors, we really kind of just marry a lot of that together. Um, and I think Asian and Caribbean kind of same. You got a lot of spice, you got a lot of colors, you got a you know a mix of. Um, Yes, you know, just flavors and curries, you know, you have that. You have coconut milk. That's, you know, one of you have ginger everywhere. You have um, um, a lot of different basils and thyme and oregano. and so Peppers, a lot of heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, the Thai chilies and the scotch bonnets, they kind of match each other. So mm-hmm. on flavor profiles. And so I kind of like marry those two together. Is yeah. anyone doing that? Um, I mean, no one's <clears throat> in the city doing that. Is anyone outside the city doing that? I haven't seen an Asian and Caribbean fusion. I, I, no, I haven't seen it. Um, Attention, Mr. Beard. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so, but it's been my, it's kind of been one of my MOs, for, you know, for the last five, six years. When I was a chef at um, Hard Rock Casino in Miami, uh, one of our restaurants was a Thai restaurant. And mm-hmm. then I, I brought a little Caribbean flavor in there as well. So, um, so it's been a mix. Yeah. Hmm. And all that comes together in that coconut curry shrimp scampi Absolutely. that you guys do at yep, River Bistro. Yep, 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 yep. That's my favorite. I have it every night for dinner, so yeah. It's fantastic. Good. Thank it's, you. Thank yeah. you. Um, so let, let's talk um, Let's talk more about the um, foundational side, the um, Spark the Change. Yep. So talk a little bit about that foundation and what, what your mission is there. So Spark the Change is, is a um, is a stem from I Am Hope Foundation. Um, so I help foundation. We get into the communities and travel all over the world. We just got back from Africa um, last month to we adopted a primary school there in Africa where we went and put in a library and put in and paved the classrooms. Um, they never had anywhere to cook. So we built this infrastructure um, kind of like an outhouse. When you say we, who, who's what is we? I am Hope Foundation. I am Hope Foundation. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. So our president, um, Sean Phillips, she's out of Miami. Um, I've been out of New York and here, and we kind of just brought it together. Okay. So we're in New York. Uh, we're in Africa twice last year. 
um, in Kenya, Nairobi, where we went to the school and um, adopted the school and kind of really trying to fill the voids of how the school can really be similar to what we have here in the States. Mm-hmm. So you get, you got these classrooms that they're walking around on clay. Well, when it rains, it turns to mud. So we paved the classrooms out. We built a kitchen for them. Um, it, we, what we have here is called an outhouse. That's their main cooking facilities in, in Africa. So we built these two clay um, vats that you can put firewood in and cook. So last year we I've cooked about uh, about 300 pounds of goat, 300 pounds of rice um, and veg, and we fed um, about 150 families in that community. And then we also fed an orphanage for about 300 kids. And so um, we try to do missions like that. We've been to Nevis. We've been to um, St. Thomas. We've been uh, this year. We have uh, Ghana coming up. We have Haiti coming up. We have Puerto Rico coming up. So the parts I work with that, and it's a spark of change. Was just a form of like, how do we make a change within our communities, um, and how do I make a change? Being a chef, being African American, being young, and I guess kind of being cool. I, yeah, my daughter thinks I'm whack, but um, <laughs> how do how do I help? You know, so. When we had all these, you know, um, tragic events happening between pre- police brutality and how do I help trying to change that? Mm-hmm. Only thing I know how to do is do it through food. Mm-hmm. So can we bring police officers, firefighters, and our our government officials together and sit down and have a meal um, and have conversations like this? We like to um, eat. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So now replace us with all those officials that can help that change in those communities happen. So. That's what Spark the Change was, um, and is to really get into the cities and have a great dialogue um, between the the people that can really make change happen, um, and it stops some of the things that we're having in our communities, white, black, green, different. Um, but just how do we kind of end that? And, and then you also ha- you take on proteges. Yep. You have something called the three Ps, right? Yep. So yep. what are the three Ps? So the three Ps. I mean, it, it's simply prepare, purchase, and plan. So you go to the grocery store, um, and in and, and my community, I remember my mother going to the grocery store. She'd just go buy a whole bunch of shit and just throw it in the garbage in <laughs> a, a, a um, buggy. But I'm like, well, you got to really plan this now. It like, really makes sense. If you only got 50 bucks. How do we plan and, and prepare and purchase with 50 bucks? And so now I try to teach families and communities how to – do a timeline of or do a, a, a agenda of like how do I plan out this menu for the week? How do I purchase for the week? How do I cook it for the week? And when I cook it, there's no fried. There's a little saute in there. There's a little broil. There's a little poaching. And so I try to teach them the three methods of cooking, mm-hmm. three methods of purchasing, three methods of planning a menu. So um, that's kind of how we put the three pieces together. And that is like almost seems like a direct kind of pushback to yep. the the you buy we fry yep, yep. right so you're you're, tell, you're you're actually giving people the tools yep. to use that i mean you know Shit, i don't even know how to do that and before it, it's crazy how before i moved i was like i'll sign up for that. <laughs> right, right, right. that's what i'm saying before i moved back to the city you know i was already like uh, i mean how do we help our community because we we just we do not see how to purchase product. Like you go to the grocery store, and there's just a tons of Twix and all this. It's bullshit. set up against you. Yeah, and what one you don't have produce. Mm-hmm. You have milk that's at a astronomical rate. 
Yeah. You know, like to buy a gallon of milk right now is four bucks. Yeah. To buy a gallon of OJ is five bucks. How is that possible? Well, you can go to you McDonald's know. and get a pot for a dollar. <laughs> no, you, no, no, no. <laughs> literally, literally, literally yesterday. Subsidized. Yesterday, yeah. I, was, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was watching CNN at like 5.30 yesterday morning, and, and I saw this um, Burger King commercial. It was 79 cents for Egg McMuffin. Well, first of all, how the, how the hell is the McMuffin less than 79 cents? <laughs> yep. But you got to put cheese on it. Yep. And you got to put a sausage patty on there. Yep. And you send it for 79 cents? What's in it? It's killing our, our community. We were talking yesterday about the cost of your bonds, man. Like you're oh, paying yeah, sixty five yeah. cents a fucking bond, man. Like that's not right. Yeah, it's not possible. Like, I, I get what you're saying, and 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 for and that's high for me. <laughs> I'm saying I know I'm trying to pay thirty nine cents a bond, <laughs> and we're so, we're killing our families because we got five for five. We got this, yeah. You know? yeah. And it's tough because at the one side, I want to say the parents like, oh my god, you're killing your kids. And the other side, I'm like, I get it. You can't afford. Right. Anything else because you haven't been taught it. You haven't been taught to take a cook, cook a whole chicken and have and stretch it out for the day. See, if but you that, have and that's and that's and that's where the three Ps come in, right? So normally, what I'll do, I'll take a family size of five, right, and I'll say, hey, let's 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 spend twenty bucks per day, or let's spend ten bucks per day, because our community, we'll go to shop every day, versus shopping for the week, and so part of the three Ps is like, hey, let's figure out how we shop for the entire week. But on Sunday, let's plan out our entire menu. Let's plan out what we're gonna, how we're gonna prep it the entire mm-hmm. menu. Let's plan out how we're gonna cook it the entire week, right? And so I think that's important because we'll go end up saying, "Hey, no, I can just go buy these two for twos and I'll be good." Right. But the same token, you're spending the same price at the end of the week. You just take a little more preparation, take a little more time, take a little more planning, take a little more great cooking methods. Versus frying everything, hey, you got an oven that broils. Mm-hmm. It might be the best oven, might be ten years old, but you put that broil on, it works. It's healthier. Mm-hmm. Now you get, you get to put add another four or five years in your life. You know Every, that's important to me. Everybody's got a cast iron somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, <laughs> pull it out. You know, so no 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 need to sit on the shelf and collect the dust. Your grandmother <laughs> gave it to you twenty five years ago, and she probably used it every right, other day. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So yeah, still seasoned. <laughs> So, Chef Max, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Let's Thank you. let's tell people again where can people find you online? RiverBistroDetroit.com. Yep, RiverBistroDetroit.com. <laughs> right, MySpace. But I wish, man. I, I'm telling you, MySpace days was great, boy. If I could have those pictures back again when MySpace was popping out, of been amazing. We, it's better we than Nick. You can only find him at <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, Instagram account. Yep, uh, Chef Max uh, Hardy, and then River Beach Show Detroit on on Instagram. Um, Chef Max Detroit. Uh, Chef Max Hardy on everything. And then River Beach or Detroit, and then Coop um, Detroit as well. And if people want to meal prep, come by River Bistro and yeah, talk come to on you. by. Yep, 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 yep. Meal prep, accessible. and they just come by and have a good time. We we have a private dining room in the back where we normally you know, set up and just have some good time. What about the found, foundation? How do I get get involved with the foundation? I am hopefoundation.com. Um, and so you can get on, you can get there and, and get all the information, or you can buy the restaurant. We have tons of information. We have a, a donating center at the restaurant as well where you can donate to the foundation. Um. Yeah, excellent, Max. Uh, thanks for being with us. Ah, thank you guys. It's been fun. Been incredible. Yeah. Uh, until next time, dine well, friends.